Jesus went through one town and village after another teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and they will not be able. Many will try to enter and they will not be able. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think it must have been very hard to be Jesus. I think it must have been very frustrating to be Jesus. Hey, Lord, can you fix my leg? It's not working these days. Hey, Jesus, we're getting hungry. You mind whipping us up some dinner? Hey, Lord, what's the kingdom of God going to be like? Everywhere he went, through all the different towns, among all the different people, these questions, they just kept coming. And Jesus, bless his heart, he responds. Sure, take up your mat and walk. Yeah, we can eat. Anybody got some bread or fish I can bless? You want to know about the kingdom? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like yeast. Yeast that has been mixed with flour. Do those make sense to you? When I think of the kingdom of heaven, I think of clouds. I think of little cherubs with wings flying around. I think about getting to eat as much food as I want and not gaining any weight. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast mixed with flour. It seems like the disciples were a little confused because one day, a few days later, they say, hey, Lord, you you keep talking about all this stuff. Will only a few get saved? I mean, how many is it going to be, Jesus? He says, well, it's, it's kind of like a narrow door. And many are going to try to get through it, and they're not going to be able to. You know, imagine, if you can, that the owner of the house, he's already gone to shut the door for the night, and you go knocking, and he ain't going to let you in. No matter how much you claim to have done with him, no matter how many good things you've done, no matter what you think or what you know, you're going to knock, and the door is going to stay closed. And today, we live in a world in which we're kind of always walking on eggshells. We have to be careful about what we say, to whom we say it, and how we say it. And specifically in the church, this is ramped up to an even greater degree of attention. And who can blame the church? We want everyone to know that God loves them. We want everyone to feel welcome. We want everyone to know that we have open hearts, open minds, and open doors. We don't want to upset anyone. But then what in the world are we supposed to do with Jesus' words about the narrow door? Because we say we have open doors, but he says it's a narrow door. Sounds like whatever the kingdom of God is to Jesus, it's very exclusive and not very inclusive. One of my very favorite theologians, his name's Karl Barth, and he was once accused of being a universalist, of having a theological belief that in the end, salvation is really for all people. And he was once pushed about this, because a lot of people don't like the idea of universalism, and someone said, hey... Professor Barr, are you, are you a universalist? Do you believe everyone's going to be saved in the end? And he said, I don't know if I'm a universalist. But let me put it this way. I'm not going to be disappointed if heaven is crowded. I don't know if I'm a universalist, but let me put it this way. I don't know if I'm going to... I'm not going to be disappointed if heaven is crowded. I love that. I mean, who doesn't like the idea of a crowded heaven? But I don't know how that squares up with Jesus' words. It says, many will try to enter and they will not be able. 
The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And you know, when mustard seed gets, they get talked about in the church, they're mostly known for their size. They're teeny, teeny, tiny. And from them grow the greatest of bushes that even the birds of the air can make nests in its branches. And that's good and fine. It's a fine sermon there. But some of the thing, one of the things we forget about the mustard seed is that for the mustard seed to do anything at all, it has to die. Now, the mustard seed is going to do anything in the world. It has to literally be buried in the ground. The kingdom of God is like yeast, yeast mixed with flour. And when yeast gets mentioned in church, it usually falls into the category of its hiddenness or its reactivity in terms of making something new like bread. But one of the things we almost never talk about, the thing we forget, is that for yeast to do anything, it has to die. It has to be buried into the flour so that it can grow, and then when it's put in the oven, it is baked and it is killed so that we can eat it. A mustard seed can't do anything unless it dies. Yeast can't do anything unless it dies. Death has been stinking up all these parables we've been talking about. And Jesus tells them on his way to Jerusalem. We've been going through them week after week, and with each passing week, the cross gets clearer on the horizon because they're on their way toward Jerusalem. And it's in the midst of thinking about death, telling parables about death, that someone says, Hey, Lord, will only a few be saved? And notice, Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say three will be saved or 300 or 3,000 or 3 million or 3 billion. He just starts telling one of his crazy stories. Strive for the narrow door, my friends. Many will try to get in. They're not going to be able. It's as if Jesus is looking out at the crowds and he says, yeah, you bet there are only going to be a few that get saved. Oh, you're going to go crazy. You're going to be studying for the final exam and you're going to fail. Now, I know a lot of you well enough to know that this Jesus, this Jesus we read about in this parable, doesn't square up nicely with Jesus in other parts of the gospel story. Most of us like thinking about Jesus as the one standing with open arms, the one who reaches out to the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. We like to think about Jesus as the one who even gives Judas a space at the table. And even in our church, we love saying we have open hearts, open minds, open doors. But it doesn't really make much of a difference about how open they are if they're narrowly open. And perhaps we don't have open hearts, open minds, open doors. We have narrow hearts and narrow minds and narrow doors. And then Jesus makes things even worse by continuing to go on with the story. He says it's like a guy has gone to bed and he's locked the door and you come knocking and he's not going to let you in. Jesus starts to seem more like a divine bouncer standing outside of club heaven than he does the good shepherd who goes out to find the one lost sheep. And yet the narrow door is in the Bible. We can't just get rid of it. It's there. We read it. It's something he said. The door is narrow. I think we think it's narrow for the wrong reason because I think the door is narrow because the door is Jesus himself. We've been saying this a lot for the last two months, and so I apologize for banging on the doors of all of our brains with this repetitive declaration, but the parables are about Jesus. They're always about Jesus. They're only secondarily about us. He tells these stories so that we learn more about him and less about ourselves. It's the Lord who makes the door what it is with all of its narrowness, because we can't get through that door on our own. That's why it's narrow. And for as much as it might make us cringe, the door that is Christ is exclusive because it is not a door for us. Jesus doesn't set up a long list of requirements. You must do this, you must do that, in order to keep only the perfect inside the party. 
There is truly only one way to get to the many mansions of the Father's house. And it's certainly not because we've earned a space or somehow gotten our name on the bouncer's list. We only get to go to the party because Jesus is the door. For a long time, Jesus and Christianity, it's all been defined by exclusivity. You have to do this. You have to believe that. You can't do this. You can't believe that if you want to get a space here at the table. It's a very narrow proposition. But the narrowness of the door in the parable actually comes not from being small or difficult. Its narrowness comes from the fact that it is so counter to everything we think we know about the world. It's been my experience, perhaps your own, that people do not often hear what is said. They hear what they are prepared to hear. Such a parable about a narrow door, it immediately conjures up in our minds the innate difficulties of getting into the club rather than allowing us to listen to what Jesus is actually saying. It's difficult. It's difficult if Jesus is the door because that implies that it is impossible for us to do this. And we hate being told that something is impossible. We hate being told something is impossible because we are told throughout our lives that so long as we work hard enough, nothing is impossible. It's even more challenging in this parable because the narrow door of Jesus, it means that he's letting in a whole lot of people who don't drive with what we think the party is supposed to look like. The last will be first. The first will be last. That's frustrating. It's frustrating because the last become first, not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it. They only get to be first because they were last. And those of us who have done what is good, those of us who find us ourselves at the front of the line, we've earned all the things, we've gone to the right schools, we've got the perfect family, those of us who are perfect and first in this life, we're getting put at the back. We don't like that idea. In fact, we wouldn't be caught dead at the back of the line because we've worked so hard to be at the front. And then here comes Jesus, Lord of Lords. He looks at all we've done and he says, guess what? The door is narrow and you ain't getting in. You're not good enough. This parable sets us up to be duped. God doesn't want to let us in through the door. No amount of banging on the door is going to do us any good. Jesus says, even the desperate pleas of our own self-vindication. But Lord, I went to church every single Sunday. But Lord, I gave 10% on the offering plate. But Lord, I fed the hungry. I clothed the naked. I befriended the lonely. None of that gets us anything. But that's when the good news drops in the story. It says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you all try to measure yourselves up to a standard of your own making and design. You will grieve all of your wasted energy. You will grieve all of your accounts of self-righteousness because the door will be too narrow for you. And then, the gospel says, and then, only then, will people come from the north and the south and the east and the west and they will eat with God. There are two ways to read this parable. There are two ways to preach this parable. In version one, all of us leave church feeling like garbage. We leave feeling crummy about our chances of getting in through the narrow door. We leave with our heads hanging low as we contemplate our sins, our problems, our lack of faith. And we wonder if we will ever be good enough to be with Jesus. There's a way to read and preach this story. Such that God has closed the door of grace in our faces 
and he has locked us out because we do not measure up. But there's also another way to read the story. Because the door is closed. But what is it being closed? What's it keeping us from? The closing of the door can also be read and preached in a way that the door God closes is the one that says you have to do this and you have to do that to get salvation. Because while the world's firsts, the winners by all definitions, are out here knocking their knuckles bloody on the locked door of righteousness, Jesus is quietly knocking at the narrow door of our own deaths, trying to get us to let him in. Remember, this narrow door, it follows the mustard seed in the east. Those two things, the only thing they have to do is die. They have to give up being a seed. They have to give up being yeast. They have to let the old fall away so that they can become something new. They have to let it go. But the world we live in tells us that we have to do everything on our own, that we have to hold on tightly to everything in our grasp. There are these norms and systems that are largely designed to show us how we will never be good enough. Then Jesus shows up to say perhaps the most radical truth that any of us will ever hear. Don't worry about how good you are. Don't worry about how bad you are or what you've been able to do or what you haven't been able to do. I'm the door. I'm the host of the party. Come in. This parable, much to the consternation of preachers and Christians who want to scare others into behaving better, it's actually about the opposite. Jesus is not busily thinking up new and frightening ways to keep people out of the kingdom. Instead, Jesus is actively and forever committed to letting himself into our kingdoms in order to tear them down. It's the very end of this. Jesus says that we who are knocking at the doors of perfect living and measured morality are nothing but workers of, to use his word, iniquity. Our good deeds are no more capable of getting us into the kingdom than our bad deeds are of keeping us out. Christ died for us while we were sinners. Not while we were perfect, not even while we were repentant. It says Christ died for us while we were sinners. There is nothing on this earth that can make God love us anymore. And there is nothing on this earth that can make God love us any less. Christ died for us while we were sinners, not after Not before, while. That's the scandal of the good news. That's also the only reason we can call it good. Unless any of us remain unconvinced of this narrow door being the obliteration of any door of keeping us out of anything, let us at least just end where Jesus does. The meal. So Jesus says it's after the weeping and gnashing of teeth, after our own refusal to live under the unfairness of grace for everyone, whether we deserve it or not, is only after lamenting the old world like the seed in the yeast. It's only after we've been buried and let it all go that Jesus says the meal will come. A meal that draws people literally from every single direction. Notice, again, the feast is not a trickling in of guests who, after becoming the paragons of perfection, they get their special invitation past the bouncer. Instead, it is a flood of uncountable people who, for free, for nothing, will be drawn by the love of God to the ultimate party that has no end. Or, to just put it like this, I hope that none of us will be disappointed if heaven is crowded. 
So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. There's something I say at every wedding I do, and that's that Jesus gets asked a lot of questions in the gospel. And one of the questions he gets asked the most is, hey, what's the kingdom of heaven going to be like? And he says things like, it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast put into flour. But the thing he says the kingdom of God is most like is a wedding feast because it's a party. It is a raucous, joyful, incredible thing. We don't think about Jesus. We think about Jesus being this like perfect goody two-shoes who's always 30 minutes early to synagogue on Saturday, who knows all the scriptures. You know, when I read the gospel, you know what? To me, Jesus seems like the guy who shows up 10 minutes late because he's a little hungover from drinking too much wine with the disciples last night. You know, he was up last night with Nicodemus talking about, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the one who has parties all the time in the gospels because he wants to have fun. I try to convey that during weddings because weddings should be fun because it's a foretaste of what is promised to us. But sometimes it gets me in trouble because I keep saying like, hey, we got to party like Jesus. And people are like, party like Jesus? Yeah, we're going to party like Jesus. They're drinking their shots of tequila and posting pictures on Instagram. Hashtag party like Jesus. And I'm like, no, that's not the kind of party I'm talking about. (laughs) But it is a party. At the very least, it has to be. Because otherwise, it's bad news. We can't call it good news otherwise. This is a party. It's a joyful, raucous, crazy, take your shoes off because you want to dance kind of party. And guess what? There's no list. You're in. Jesus has taken down those velvet covered things that prevent you from getting in the club. He says, I've gotten rid of it. Don't worry about that door. I got the back door open. You're all in. You're all in. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, what a confounding thing it is to know that even if we don't have open hearts, even if we don't have open minds, even if we don't have open doors, you still say we're welcome. It's confounding to us, Lord, because you've looked at our heart of hearts. You've looked at our minds. You've looked at our actions. And you've said, I know you're not good enough, but I am. And I'm making a way where there was no way. I'm defeating all that will ever keep you away from the love of God because I am the door. I am the door. So come. You have invited us here, O Lord, knowing full and well that we don't deserve it, that in every other stretch of our imaginations, we don't get to come to the party, but you've said, hey, I'm the party, so come. Amen. While we were sinners, not before, not after, not after we repent, not after we're perfect, but while we're sinners, Christ dies for us. That is the good news.